0: You know, the other thing I would say about retail, like the importance of retail is like if you get a retailer on board with your record or your artist or your label, they become an ambassador for you for much longer than a PR campaign, you know, much longer than a radio Mm. campaign, because if they love that record, they're going to hustle that record. I mean, I remember the early days of Crumbin we were slanging crumbin records because people would come in and they'd be like you know i just want something like cool you want something to put on your parties that your friends haven't heard of fuck yeah here you go bub yeah you're gonna need this shit (laughs) It's not like we're doing Norwegian death metal when you're like, fucking throw this shit on, bro. You're not fucking, you're going to fucking right. love it. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, put on yeah. this like super catchy, dirty disco from Say She She and uh, or, you know, yeah. a Duran record or a Kelly Finnegan record that like is contemporary and new and might be unknown to people, but definitely like touches points of nostalgia and feels a certain way. And that's historically record store fodder.
1: This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out, and DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out distrokid.com. What's going on? Welcome to The New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It In The New Music Business, the book. Third edition is out now, physical, hardcover, ebook, audiobook. However you consume books, you can find the new edition of the book. Today, my guest is Terry Cole of Coal Mine Records. Coal Mine Records, uh, some of the artists that they have are Black Pumas, Neil Francis, Duran Jones and The Indications, The Dip, Say She, She, Aaron Frazier. Uh, but what we spend the majority of our time talking about today is their physical retail operation, specifically with vinyl records, because uh, as he said later on in the show, uh, which which blew my mind, this was the first year in their, gosh, what is it now, um, 10 to 15 years of operating as a label that digital finally surpassed physical, meaning last year in, in 2022, 2023, they made more revenue on their physical operation on vinyl sales than they did on digital and their artists are no schlubs. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing very well. So it, it's fascinating. We t- we spent the majority of the time talking about their physical operation. Now, Terry and his brother, Bob, they started plaid room records. That is a record store in Loveland, Ohio, just outside Cincinnati. And uh, they, uh, they knew it from the other side. They were running a record shop. They still run the record store. Um, it's still around, but that's kind of how they got their start. And, uh, Terry will tell you the story, but you know, here's somebody that knows both sides of the operation. They know how to run a record shop and what, um, the record labels are, you know, their tactics to market to them. And then now they're running a record label. But they also have, you know, sub-labels and subsidiaries and partnerships. Uh, they have partnerships with ATO. They have partnerships with Dead Oceans. Uh, some of their sub-labels, um, they uh, have have uh, Palmetto, All Town Sound, Three Palm Records, Razorhood, uh, Karma Chief Records, or Reminded Records. We We... Didn't really get into all of how the operations work with these labels um, because, man, we spent – I was so fascinated. This is the only conversation I've had on the show now, and we're in 150 episodes or wherever we're at, where uh, someone had such a successful physical retail operation um, that he kind of started from the ground up. So it's it was very cool to have this conversation with him. Um, he talked to us from his studio where he does a lot of sessions there. Um, so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. You should check out coal mine records, um, on their website. You can, you can buy some of the records directly from them. Uh, you know, they're kind of a soul record label. And, um, if you're into, if you're into that, then you're going to dig their stuff. You can find them on all the socials. You can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on Instagram, TikTok, and X. You can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram. Visit ariestake.com. Get on the email list. That's our website. Get on the email list. That's where you're going to get the most up-to-date information about the new music business. But pause the show right now. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you're listening to this. If this is YouTube right now, hit that up thumb. Hit the subscribe. Hit the follow button if you want us to appear in your feed some more. All right. Let's kick into the show. Terry Cole, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for having me great great okay uh for those that are just uh watching i i need to know or just listening rather and not watching but those that are watching too what what microphone do am i looking at right now that you're you're talking through uh an ev635a <laughs> and what year is this from would you say oh this is this is a
0: i think this is a new one this is a really like these are yeah it's like it a, looks old it does look old um yeah these are great little great little mics for like uh everything really I think they're Why they're do you fantastic. have
1: tests? What do I have what? <laughs> this mic? This microphone. What is the like where did the EV yeah, this is no schlubby. like I've never seen one of these before. What is this like it's what like was $100. the impetus for buying It's a oh, $100, like $100 microphone.
0: It's like a $100 mic. Yeah, I mean, so right now I'm in the control room of uh, my studio. Okay. okay. So there's there's all sorts of dorky mics uh, you know, around here, but I found this one to be like high output uh you know yeah. it's good for like you can be off the mic and it still picks it up yeah but it's pretty directional
1: yeah. uh and it looks you cool. Use this for talkback mic typically uh cool. yeah
0: i use it for talkback and then when we're recording yeah. when we do like recording uh like video sessions in the studio
1: we'll use this for like vocal mics just because it looks a little cooler than cool a 58 you actually you'll have you'll track vocals through this hundred dollar mic and it sounds it sounds good
0: Oh
1: yeah, for sure. Or, or you talking like you do the music video like lip sync through that microphone?
0: Um, uh, both, both.
1: Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Shitty is pretty. Yeah, well, for those, shitty is pretty. That's right. I got this. uh, I've been using this, you know, SM Seven Bs, which are it's a three hundred dollar mic. It's fantastic. It's uh, I've tracked vocals through it, um, and but opposite to that guy. It is so uh, directional, and it's like you have to be so close on it. And the input – I mean, a lot of people use cloud lifters or something – the interface because it sends such a weak signal which is actually really good when you're you're tracking live with the band so i've done like live sessions because it doesn't pick up a lot unless you're like right on it you know and yeah. uh, i have my interface cranked all the way max right i don't have a cloud lift or anything but uh but it actually this looks pretty this this looks pretty but it also yeah. i mean it looks like Dude, a hey, whatever wait seven, hold maybe. on i
0: got i got a, i got yeah. a dorky thing
1: Look. yeah yeah show me what you got
0: so this <laughs>
1: this is ooh.
0: this is an sm5b uh-huh which is like the prototype to the sm7 oh cool which is super great it's super fucking dope it's the shit
1: (laughs) um nice nice oh it's great it looks like a football but it's sick it does yeah yeah um so are you did you, are you uh are you the engineer like the for the sessions that you do in studio there are you actually tracking yeah. did you get started as uh all right so let let's take back because we're not here to talk about gear um we're here to talk about coal mine records um and uh I'm just curious uh because I Well, can you just give me an overview of what Coal mine Records is? Because in my research as I was doing this, I saw you had a bunch of labels that you distribute. You had some subsidiaries or some, some sister labels, or I don't really know what you'd call them. Uh, you also have maybe a parent distributor or you have partnerships with other labels. So uh, I see you do vinyl. You have retail operation. From your words I was trying to wrap my head around what coal mine records is I still don't know and that's what I'm excited to figure out through this conversation um, sure. you tell me what what coal mine records is and uh, and what you do um, yeah I mean
0: in a you know the, in the most basic sense coal mine is you know an independent record label putting out music rooted in soul um, you know I think mm-hmm. we we like to say like soulful sounds it definitely started um you started like 16 years ago um oh wow uh i was in i was in grad or finishing up grad school and uh very inspired mm-hmm. by Daptone tone uh and truth and soul at the time and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know i was just like hey that's cool that, that it's cool that they're that you are that they can make 45s in 2005 or 2006 yeah. and i was like i want to do that shit yeah um mm. so that was you know That was where it started but you know at its core coal mine records is just just an independent record label um there are lots of partnerships like um above and below and beside and things that have like Mm -hmm. grown over the last 16 years but you know at its core we're just a record label trying to make cool records basically
1: cool and and uh yeah and you know i'm a fan of a lot of the artists on the label um and i i just you know because this is the new music business podcast, of course, I really want to get yeah, yeah. geeky and nerdy about the business because I, I'm I'm very fascinated with how this, uh, how the, the operation runs. So when you say you're an independent record label, I'm assuming that means what a traditional record label may do, which is sign and develop artists and put out their records, uh, right? That's, that's yep. part of what you do? Yep, for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, um, but then I've also noticed some of the uh, artists that you're with or that, that are on your, your label or rather or on your website, I should say, because I'm actually not sure which are signed to uh, the label or not. Can you, first off, let's just talk about the difference between coal mine records karma chief records and reminded records because those are the labels that are listed on your website what's the difference
0: yeah so coal mine is the is the first label the parent label if you will uh that was the record the label i started in 2007 uh when i was finishing up grad school and um Uh you know that was ran as a hobby for almost 10 years while i was a teacher i was a high school science teacher um taught zoology and botany and it was a hobby, sort of, until it wasn't <laughs> a hobby. Um, okay. So I, you know, after about ten years, there was maybe like two LPs on the on the label, um, and maybe like 30 45s
1: and cool. And when you say forty um, fives, let me just clarify for a second. Forty um, fives traditionally are, uh, you know, seven inch vinyl records. They run at the forty five speed. Uh, when you're when you're saying forty five, are you actually meaning you printed up? seven inch 45 records or are you are you referring to singles that you released digitally
0: no yeah seven inch sing, 45s yeah physical 45 Forty five, physical so, okay
1: did you also release those uh as digital singles too or did you only yep. do them as physical okay yeah yeah gotcha. both. thank you
0: um so that was yeah we had about 30 uh, or so at that point and uh i was becoming kind of frustrating with teaching and mm-hmm. um my superintendent came in one day and i was doing some bomb ass lab and he came in and had some shit to say about the length of my hair. And I was like, <laughs> "Fuck this shit!" Um, I got really pissed off. And, uh, yeah. Uh, I drove down. I was, I was teaching where in my hometown, uh, Middletown, Ohio. And I drove down mm-hmm. about 30 minutes to this town called Loveland where I had been like that. Lo- the previous summer I'd been like biking and canoeing. Loveland's like a little, um, you know, outdoorsy sort of town outside of Cincinnati. Cool. And, um, I just started looking for retail space to open a record store, uh, because I huh. had, I had, I, I sold, I started selling records on eBay when I was like 12, I started selling 78s oh, wow. and LPs and 45s in like 90, mm-hmm. 98, 99, like right at the dawn of eBay when it was the real, the fucking yeah. wild
1: west. Um, when and you weren't legally probably allowed to be selling records on eBay uh, because you were twelve, dude. Yolo. Because that it is was, it was. Yeah. But like the whole – whole you're, you're whole... playing po- online poker at the same time on the yes. side and just like 100%. doing all the shit that you're. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. But uh, <laughs> but it
0: was the sell- selling records on eBay started with my dad because um I was like we you know my parents didn't know how we were gonna pay for college and my dad had been wow. a record collector. For a long time mm-hmm. and you know through that he had amassed records that were worth money that he didn't really care about and then there was this whole new thing called the internet and the electronic yep. bay and um so <laughs> i started selling records i, I paid for my grad and under, undergrad uh, by cash by selling uh records on ebay no
1: shit yeah wow that is a um, full-on operation okay I mean, cool. it was a it was a
0: mish I had I had cops my junior year of college I had the uh university police I went to school at Miami University in Oxford Ohio and when I went to pay the Bursar office like you know eighty three hundred dollars for that semester in, in cash because they because they <laughs> well they charge you they they charge you a, a credit card fee if you pay with a credit card so I was like I'm not going to pay four percent on eight thousand right. dollars just yeah. so I was paying in cash and like 20 minutes after I got back to my apartment the cop showed up and was like hey uh, the Bursar office sent me over here, and I was like, for paying my tuition on time and in full. Uh, <laughs> but I understood, because I look like what I look like, yeah. and they were like, sure, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but then he came in, yeah. and there was like just a wall of record crates. So all that to say, yeah. I had a history of like, I knew how to sell records. Um, sure. And so okay. it felt like, you know, in my mind, record label income is very volatile. You know, you get a lot. Mm-hmm then you lose a lot, you know, it's very up and down. Whereas a retail operation would be steady. Um, and it mm. would allow, you know, maybe allow me to um, sort of actually see the label to its full potential if I was like in the, that okay. industry full time. So uh, gotcha. I went to, I drove to Loveland. This is 2014, drove to Loveland called my younger brother who had just finished up grad school to be like a computer engineer. And I was like, Hey bro, you don't want to do that shit. Do you and make a bunch of money? Don't you let's go, let's be poor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) so we opened up a record store in 2015 and that was, you know, I would say that was the beginning of like doing the, you know, really doing the record label at a full, did you call it coal mine records? Uh, no, the record store is called plaid room records. Um, plaid room. And is it still around? Oh yeah. 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 It's got like 15, 16 employees. Um, hell yeah Uh, so that but that was that was 2015 and that was sort of like the whole point of opening the or not the unforeseen benefit to opening the store was we sort of got to see what other independent record labels and major labels how they marketed things um because you know we were on the receiving end or on the observational end of like seeing a marketing campaign work or not work or whatever and so Mm -hmm from coal mine side of thing my brother and i would just like like oh that's a good idea we should take that shit we should do that shit Uh or like that didn't work at all that was a terrible idea uh and so you know through that we really came to market ourselves through record stores you know the very early releases wow you know we instead of trying to like figure out how in the fuck to do digital marketing because back then especially Mm -hmm. it still felt like what are we what is happening um, I mean, 2015
1: was, like... was the bottom of the digit of the recorded music industry. It was literally the year that there was uh, the the global recorded music industry in the year 2015. Uh, maybe it was 2014. Was uh, had had it was the lowest point in decades of actual revenue that was coming in. Nobody knew what was going on. Uh, yeah. Digital, physical, nothing. <laughs> yeah, so it was what... kind of like a time ripe for innovation and experimentation
0: yeah and and i mean i and i had no idea i mean we were distributed back then digitally by the orchard and it just okay. felt like it felt and we the only reason we were at the orchard was because we were with iota and iota got bought out by the what's orchard. iota iota was a digital oh, was aggregator got it yeah okay um yep. but i mean seriously back then i viewed i absolutely viewed digital revenue as just like fake sky money like i didn't even consider it yeah <laughs> ever it was never a consideration when it came
1: to like a budget or anything like that it was like oh yeah i don't know how much will we make I don't know. so you were running um the plaid room the record store in loveland um and you were also running uh coal mine records as you were kind of putting out records uh yep. for artists yep. okay yeah. um and then, well, okay, so so yeah, continue through the journey because I'm fascinated by this actually. Uh, I, then then, where did it go from there? You're in 2015, and uh, you're dealing with sky money. Now, how do you yep. turn that into real money?
0: <laughs> well, there there was not much there was not much sky money, and so the vibe was like, okay, you know, we were to a point where we could sell. We knew we could sell based on reputation. Um, at that point, we could sell 500 to 1,045s of pretty much anything we put out, which was a really good spot to be in because we were like, cool people trust the sound we can take chances you know we can put out artists that don't exist we can because that's the fun thing about 45s is like it's just two songs it's just two songs and Mm -hmm. label art and so you can have these made-up projects and sort of like experiment with them because it's very low risk you know you can like and it's just just fun well who do you sell
1: these to who are you selling a thousand records to of a band that nobody's ever heard of How, how who's buying these
0: so, I mean, we had, I had amassed a pretty good, like, mailing list over the first, like, nine or okay. ten years of doing the label. Strictly through, you cool. know, like, word of mouth, reputation, through record stores. Um, you know, there was never any, like, up until that point, there was never any formal marketing other than, like, social media and word of mouth at stores. Word of mouth through, like, fans, DJs, collectors, shit sure. like that. Um, so, mm-hmm. there is a big chunk of D2C, like, a lot of D2C. And then you know the rest was direct wholes- consumer, y- mm-hmm. yeah. And then the rest was mm-hmm. um, wholesaled through our distri- our physical distributor back then,
1: Fat Beats. Um, okay, and so so you had a physical distributor, and they are what does a physical distributor do?
0: Yeah, so a uh, physical distributor they you give them their records, they take care of getting them into record stores. You know, it's their job to solicit your record and releases to record stores. If the stores and then it's your job as the label to get the shop to order it, Um, which Mm. I think that that nuance is maybe the biggest um, like misinformation, misunderstood concept when it comes to distribution and physical sales. Because there's a lot of people, artists on our label, maybe myself included, like 12 years ago, that viewed distribution as like a salesperson. And at the end Mm -hmm. of the day they're just like a highway you know like they're a highway to record stores but it's your job as the label to market to the store or to your customer to go to their store to place the order with the distributor um mm-hmm. and so yeah we were moving like probably half through district through wholesale and then half direct from our website um but never any formal marketing or, or, sh- or shit like that um until the first duran jones record in 2016 And I remember we hired a publicist, uh, who we still work with Tony Benyatta. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, holy sh I like that, like that, uh, that whatever that TV show was like, I will never financially recover from this. You know, I was just like, I could not believe (laughs) I was paying someone to do a service that felt intangible.
1: Uh, you know what i mean like and that playing... was the the money you were paying to the publicist yeah and it wasn't even it's or hilarious
0: what? it's hilarious how not much okay. it was but back then i was like holy shit this twelve hundred dollars yeah. for this four-month campaign mother of god we're never gonna <laughs> well, get that's this
1: nothing month. most publicists are charging three grand a month four grand a oh, month for a four yeah i mean campaign, we pay okay we, we're yeah. paying Shorefire,
0: you know we're paying yeah. Shorefire
1: right now like yeah whatever five thirty five thirty five hundred a month or something yeah it's like Oh, you're getting but, a steal from Shorefire then, 3500 a month. Man, I better go back to them and be like, "Hey, <laughs> all there you got to do is 3500. Why are you quoting me 4500?" Right. All you got to do is like,
0: <laughs> you know, pay for just so many months and they're like, "Oh, it's okay. Here you go. It's okay." Um, yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. Really like oh, but, okay. but like that was the first campaign that we we hired somebody for. Um Yeah. And but still the majority of the marketing was 100% through record stores so we sent out promo LPs to we probably sent out like 120 promo copies to record stores that we had relationships with around the country Uh, because we were doing direct wholesale back then we were doing it was a mix we we were doing some wholesale through fat beats but part of our deal with fat Mm -hmm. beats was like you have to also let us do direct wholesale um Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day me and bob bob is my brother our thought was like no one is gonna no one's gonna hustle us As hard as we are so i want to have the right to sell directly to stores um as well and so we sent out like 120 Mm -hmm. to like our our best stores and that first press of a thousand records from duran like sold out the week it came out like they were gone wow and yeah so it it, i don't know that was a that campaign was like a massive learning experience because Mm -hmm. we got to see how powerful given given a record store a good record to play in the record store is you know
1: did you so uh, help me understand this now did you sign duran jones to coal mine records and then release the album both physically and digitally or how did this this go down yeah
0: um so we signed almost all of our deals are like license agreements for the most part okay unless it's something that i produce um, so the artist owns the masters and we just okay. license them exclusively for a certain time period. Um, so okay. I think most of our deals back and what then, are the... yeah, they're 50, yeah, 50, yeah, going. they're 50, 50 net Thank profit you. splits. Um, mm-hmm. back then I think our license terms were something hilarious, like two or three years or something. I don't know. Um, you know because back then in
1: terms of what most labels are doing yeah yeah, that's great yeah. for the back back then
0: you <laughs> know, back then it was like very low risk you know sure just felt like still for fun that sort of shit um sure. and it is still fun but so we released that record uh digitally and physically i think middle of 2016 um and that was the first mm-hmm. record that we had ever released where it started to take on a life of its own um you know like just okay. organically what is this The the self-titled Duran Jones, the Indications record. Okay. Got it. And so, uh, you know, it started to sort of take off on its own, and, you know, they went and played South By, and for the first Mm -hmm. time, we sort of felt like we could see the train coming down the tracks and we were going to get run over, because we didn't know what Mm. the fuck we were doing um you know like like i don't think it ever got to the point where we were holding the band back but we could feel that eventually it was going to get to that point um and we could we could we could feel like you know managers calling us major labels calling us like hey you want to sell you know trying to figure out what the deal structure was and all this sort of shit and we were like You know, we had no, I'm a teacher and he's an engineer. We don't know how to navigate these conversations. And, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and for us, we're just like, yo, we love these dudes. We love this record. We're trying to, we're not trying to hold anybody back, but we're also trying to learn along the way and, and get better at this.
1: Sure.
0: But eventually it like, it really came to, it became obvious that, you know, we either need to, you know, release them or find a partner to help us scale up with them. Um, and so we had a lot of different conversations with, we talked to Columbia, we talked to Warner, um, and they all just felt like shit. Um, like they just felt like mm-hmm. exactly what I thought they would feel like. And mm-hmm. then we talked to the crew at dead oceans, um, mm-hmm. under the secretly umbrella. And those mm-hmm. dudes all talked like me and Bob and, mm-hmm. and, 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 like also recognized, all that we had done to like grow it in a very diy way like they recognized the value in what the like the coal mine brand brought to the table and so um rather than letting the license expire uh we formed a new agreement with dead oceans to release you know that essentially overrode the first one lp deal that was a three lp deal and it folded coal mine into deal with dead ocean so like a profit sharing level um and then it also gave us like okay and it gave us uh like exclusive licensing rights for the 45 uh for 45s from Mm -hmm. you know whatever forthcoming lps and so it was really kind of the best of both worlds because from the band's perspective they got to like keep like the homegrown diy vibe like the kind of the appearance if you will or like the outward you know the the advocate was still us for them, but they Mm -hmm. have like Mm. big indie money and infrastructure of secretly behind them. Um Mm -hmm. and then for us also we got to kind of like sit sidecar with an indie label who knows what they're doing and sort of be like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's see what they actually do. You know, like how does a how does a record label that is that is just a record label, meaning like Coal Mine back then was a record label built on reputation and like curation not yep. label services you know um it was yes. just like oh it was a it was a niche thing and so like let's it's not like people collect dead oceans records you know people aren't like oh i gotta get mm-hmm, that new hot mm-hmm. dead ocean shit. it's like no they're just so right. good at record labeling that you know they're yeah. artists be- because you know they're artists because they market them well they develop them well they put spend the money in the right places so
1: yeah, and Dead Oceans has Phoebe Bridgers and Japanese Breakfast and Krungbin, Mitsuki, Kevin Morby, you know uh, like Kevin and, Morby, yeah. uh, Toro Y moi. Um yeah. So, uh, Bright Eyes. Um, okay, so so that that makes that's that at the, I guess makes sense um, for for uh, Duran Jones. Of course, it's like okay, we're we're now signing with a bigger label, but. Dead Oceans is still independent. That's not a Warner. It's not Columbia. They're an indie label distributed under the Secretly Group, like you said. Um, so um, I'm still so help me break this down a little bit. Uh, Secretly is the parent company, and they have uh, a bunch of subsidiary label. They Secretly a, a what is Secretly? Is it a distributor? Man, is, is it a, the... a label? What is it? That's the million dollar.
0: <laughs> that's the million dollar question. I think I've I've drawn this picture for so many people on my staff, like to answer that exact uh-huh. question. Um, I mean, so the yeah. parent company is Secretly Group. Secretly Group okay. is the ownership uh, or owns Secretly Canadian, Dead Oceans, Jag Jaguar, Secretly Distribution, Secretly Publishing, and then I think they're mm-hmm. partial owners of Numero Group. So, okay, um. You know, but it started as a label, Secretly Canadian, and then like grew and Mm -hmm. kind of, there was a partnership formed between Jag Jaguar and Secretly Canadian. And then eventually they were fed up with distro and decided we'll start our own distro, Secretly Distribution. Mm -hmm. Eventually they were like, oh, we're fed up with publishers. We'll start our own publishing company. So that's, Mm -hmm. it sort of grew in that outward, outward manner. And now it's very like, um, it's very vertically aligned. So like, everybody that works at any of the labels that I just named is a secretly group employee. So you might have a project manager that works a dead oceans project, a Jag project, you know, they Mm -hmm. might, they can, they float where they're sort of needed um, within the company. That way you don't kind of have, you know, you don't overstaff here or overstaff there. Um, And and they share, they share a lot of services. They share, you know, accounting, they share legal, they share distribution, obviously publishing. rights. So it's like, by kind of uniting together and sharing these common things, they become more efficient and, uh, you know, profitable. <laughs>
1: Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Title, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what District Kid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. District Kid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that for me at this point is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistriKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistriKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators, and they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. Kid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. So they have the internal kind of uh, creative teams uh, by the label. So Dead Oceans, maybe I'm assuming here, has their own A&R, has their own product uh, project managers, um, uh, maybe some other, m- maybe marketing people or, or something like that. Uh, Jag Jaguar, same thing. But secretly also has share these people or shared resources, or maybe they have a digital person, a marketing person or whatever uh, you know, and then you can tap into as well. I think
0: the biggest distinguishing thing is a and r I think a lot of the marketing okay. crew and the creative are they still they're like secretly people that will work project to project i think i think a n r is i think think I think that's the main distinguishing. Thing for those three labels for Jag Dead Oceans and, and Secretly Canadian.
1: Um, okay, and so then where do you fall into all of this? Uh, coal Mine Records because it's not technically a Secretly record label.
0: Yeah, so so that was that was the beginning of working with Secretly, uh, and we knew them. Okay, we we knew them on the retail side because we bought from Secretly Distribution for the store, um, and so we knew them mm, on the other side right. of things. And so that was our first foray into like working with them as a, as a label partner. Uh, and it was, it's, it Mm -hmm. was, and has been, um, you know, probably the best move we've ever made because we got to, like I said, sit sidecar and really like watch a record label who just record labels, develop an artist and, and sort of be like, all right, here's what it, here's what it takes financially. Here's what it takes human resources wise, team wise, all that sort of stuff. Um, and through that, uh, we ended up moving our distro in 2018 over to Secretly Distribution. Um, okay. Just, just because things were like scaling up, and the shop was growing, the label was growing, and it was still just my brother and I working mm-hmm. and doing all this shit. And mm-hmm. um, I'll never forget. The, and they had been like kind of courting us for a while, like you should let us distro, but they wanted us to give up direct wholesale and. I what was does that just mean? like, uh, they wanted us to give up the right to sell directly to stores. They wanted to handle all of
1: our wholesale the physical distribution too. Correct. Yeah. Got it. And you so were, they, you were already had physical distribution. You were already distributing to record to retail operations. Um, yeah. but they wanted to take that over.
0: Okay. Yeah. And my concern was that, you know, I had built these relationships with these retailers over the past 10 or so years. And I knew how I know how fickle retailers are. I know that they can't open a spreadsheet (laughs) sometimes to save their fucking life. And I know (laughs) that you know I I I still have people that call and place orders by like describing the album cover. And it's like, (laughs) like it's it's amazing. And I didn't want to. I was afraid that if I moved to that, and I was like, hey y'all, I know you've been ordering for us for ten years, but now you have to do it through secretly. I was afraid there would be some backlash. um, Sure and so I held off for like a year and then I remember Chris Swanson one of the owners of secretly and Chris Wells who runs Mm -hmm. uh or is the managing director of secretly distro they're they're based in Bloomington Indiana so it's like two hours from here and they came on a visit to like just shoot the shit and hang and they came in at like this perfect time where like Bob was running the store out front it was just an absolute madhouse. People are trying to sell them records. People are trying to ring out. I'm in the back. I have like art files up on two screens, an accounting sheet up on another. I'm like wrapping a wholesale order. Uh, you know, just like clearly we're just stretched so thin. And um, yeah. And he, Chris Swanson was like, hey, man, like what do you think you guys are better at? Like running a business or like wrapping boxes? Like what are you, what are you guys better at? And I was like mm-hmm. – all right. Yeah, yeah. Good point. And um so and I think it was a it was sort of an aha moment for me because I realized that like the thing I wanted to do was I wanted to maintain the relationships with stores and I thought that if I wasn't doing the direct sale I couldn't do that. But I think it was this aha moment because mm. I was like I can still do that. Somebody else is doing the yeah. heavy lifting, doing the billing, the shipping, but I can still be the che- mm. my, me and my team can still be the cheerleader. And, and ultimately, uh-huh. that's our job as a label. Like, our job as a label is, right. to, is to educate the retailer, to promote to them, to convince them to bring our stuff in. Uh, and then we have this, like, very well-oiled distribution machine that can handle the rest of it. So that was 2018. And yep. that was, I mean, that was just, that move took so much off of us from the physical side of mm. things. And then also, we moved our digital from the orchard and we went from sort of just like throwing things into the ether and like being like i hope yes. it does something um to right. having a, a whole team of people that were like oh here's what you should do and here's why um and yes it allowed us to go from like a, I mean this this fir- this was this year was the first year our digital revenue um from secretly exceeded our physical revenue i mean our physical we move a, a lot, lot of records Uh, and so it took a, you know, took a lot of, a big bump in the digital space (laughs) to catch that.
1: Let me just, let me just clarify. That is not an industry standard where the physical, uh, for a record label, uh, is, is, uh, greater than the digital. I mean, uh, globally, I want to say the, uh, physical is like two or 3% of all recorded music or something. I have these numbers somewhere, but like the fact that you are even 50, 50, let alone, more on physical than on digital. That's wild. That doesn't happen in twenty what this twenty twenty three. I you know let alone twenty eighteen or whatever. Um So okay, that's that's fascinating. Um And so I mean, I guess with physical, I mean, were you selling vinyl records primarily? Was there CDs? Were there cassettes? Or is it just record, just vinyl? And was it uh, seven say- inch or forty fives and thir-
0: yeah, 98% yeah. LP and 45. Um some LP cassettes 45. and some okay. CDs. Cool. I don't know who the fuck the people are that buying are, are buying CDs, but they do exist in the world. Um got it. But yeah, most most the LPs and 45. Okay. But it was, All right. But it so was that's fa- yeah. that's f-
1: yeah, and you're still doing it. So I mean, I I want to get into more of the record labels Side and some of these other artists and artist development, but I, I'm I want to stay on physical for a second because I'm fascinated by this because I I think you might be the first guest I've had in 150 episodes that has a a substantial physical retail operation and definitely the only one that has a uh one that has surpassed digital or rather did up until this past year. Um, okay, so talk to me a little bit about selling physical records. Um. Because you've worked on both sides, you have the record store. You've dealt with record labels and distributors, and you you sell to record stores. Um, Tell me about how this works these days, and you know what are some? uh, How do you get the record in the store? How do you get them to prioritize it? How uh, do you market? What is physical marketing any these days? Just yeah, however you want to take this.
0: Yeah, it's really hard uh to get a retailer to give a shit. Um
1: <laughs> I mean and I say uh-huh. that
0: with like the utmost empathy because you know Plaidroom is one of the like the top online physical retailers in the country as far as moving LPs. No shit. Yeah. And I mean we've bought like, kudos to Bob. Like he's built like a gnarly he's putting that computer engineering degree to use. Um he's built like a gnarly mm-hmm. infrastructure and fulfillment, you know And we have amazing customer service and all that shit, but it's hard every week. There are anywhere between 200 and 350 new UPCs that are streeting. And as Mm. a store, you have to figure out, okay, what is going to sell? What do we bring in? How many do we bring in vinyl sales are all one way. So you can't return them if they don't sell. Um, so Mm. it's, it's, it's risky, you know, if you miss by 20% 20% or 30% or 50%, there's all the profit you were going to make on that product. Cause profit margins are, sure, you know, 30, 32, um, if you're getting direct Percent? from, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, margins so, aren't, uh,
1: what is that? Yeah. How so yeah, means, it means, typically
0: means if we, as a record store, if we buy, you know, if you buy a coal mine record from secretly, uh, most of our LPs I think are 1550. So you're going to pay $15 and 50 cents wholesale wholesale from secretly and then you can price it anywhere between Mm -hmm. 22 and 25 it's up to you um
1: and so you know you can is that part of the deal that they have to cap it that it's um i
0: mean we there's a list price i think the list price technically for that price point is 26.98 but i mean okay most stores i would say sit below list for the most part there's some some of the really big stores will just sit at list all day but most stores will price things below list um, just because
1: – See, that seems sort – of, lo- I mean, I don't want to get stuck on this, but that seems low. I was just at a Amoeba uh, in Hollywood the other day, and it was hard to find a record under 30 or $35. Uh, I we're mean, talking a single ma- LP. What is the shit? I mean,
0: major label shit, it's fucked. Like, it's absolutely Okay, so that's fucked. different. Yeah, I mean, stuff from the majors, I mean – They just had a, they've had Mm -hmm. like two price increases in the past year. Plus, unless you're a store of our size, you can't even buy direct from them. So you can't buy direct from Universal. If you're a new store that opened up today, if you're a new store that opened up the last three Mm -hmm. years, you are not going to be able to buy direct from Universal. You're going to have to buy it from a one stop, which is basically a middleman distributor who's buying it from Universal. Mm -hmm. So instead of paying $19 for the, or I'm sorry, instead of paying, $22.50 Twenty two fifty for the new Taylor Swift from Universal. You are going to pay twenty five from a one stop, or twenty six or something. Mm. Um, Got but it. Major, Got but major, but major label prices are just like absolutely asinine. Anyway, I mean they're just insane okay. what they charge. Um, and yeah. there is like, I mean, the number of humans that are there. Like, bless all those humans that are working at those major labels, handling the physical. I mean, there is one dude at Universal, mm-hmm. one fucking guy. To handle wow. all of the direct accounts, which is why they can't take on any more accounts. Sure. Um, sure. So it's it's very it's a very very difficult time to be a label or a store mm. or a distributor. Like it's just it's mm-hmm. just trying to find a balance. And like the pandemic put a whole wrench in all this because pandemic saw record sales, um, and you know sort of a. An exacerbation of LP sales and now everybody's now it's kind of coming back to reality of like yeah. where it probably should be um and yeah. that's it's hard you know it's just hard because there's a lot of new stores that open during then but um as far as how mm-hmm. to market the the best thing i can say and most record labels that i tell this to um dismiss this there is no better way to market your record in to, to a record store than sending them a record to play in the store like and I mean I, I, that sounds like that sounds like it should be like really obvious but it's not because every record label I say that to and I tell them that we send out between 150 and 175 promos to retailers they're like well that's just so much money mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. six six times 175 and I'm like yeah yeah but what the fuck do we all pay a Shorefire? or Missing Peace mm-hmm, Group or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever publicity or radio plugger you're doing, like this is going. This is a record, a copy of the record, going to a place that sells the record, and now they can play right. it in the store.
1: Uh, and if it's good, people and will be that like, works. I mean, so so wait to explain this how this works. So you you package up a single record. You got the Coal Mine Records logo at the top. You send it off. You send a hundred and seventy five records to 175 different record shops in the U.S., in the country, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and then you start making phone calls or you just hope that they're going to open your package and be like, what's this? And then they put it on in the store and that actually moves product? Yes.
0: Yeah, and it is. It's phone that's calls, how it works. It's phone calls, it's emails, it's years of relationships and trust. Um, okay. And that's it
1: it's hmm. like it's uh wow it's so old school <laughs> it's wild yeah, let me tell you i you know the <laughs> I, no. I, sorry go ahead no i'll just it, that's that's it
0: it's like it's so dumb but it's mm-hmm. it's not rocket surgery it's like you're trying to sell <laughs> records like you want to sell records in a record store
1: well yeah give them the record and if it's good this is like uh that that movie high fidelity uh if you ever saw high fidelity which is oh, one yeah. of my favorites and you know it's like jack black is like watch i'm gonna sell four records right now and he puts on the record and like you know and you see this the the record shop just kind of um all turn and start bobbing moving their heads and like yeah and he starts you know people are saying oh what what's playing here man you Dude, know well, and he starts selling it's like it still works <laughs> think think about it like
0: these these record stores are places that people go to to find new music right and Mm -hmm. there's an Mm -hmm. there's an infinite amount of new music that comes out every fucking day whatever the number is a hundred thousand new songs uploaded to Spotify every day or whatever it's like and so you can either trust the algorithm to curate it for you Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. or you can you know you follow people that recommend things right but like there's too Mm -hmm. much there's too much there has to be a filter right yes and yeah yeah records record stores are a traditional filter and curator of that record you you follow record stores you go to record stores to discover things that you didn't know existed and um it's it's a thing you know like that first duran jones Mm -hmm. record we had no nothing you know, no PR, like we didn't get any cool PR, any cool radio, any, any, anything, but the record was cool and it sounded cool and people bought it. And so we, and we've been doing that since 2016 and we like, you know, there's definitely, wow. Obviously it's easy. We're in a position where it's easier for us to, like when people see our package and we have these like promo only stickers that are just rip off of old Mm. Warner Brothers stickers that like when record store people see that they know that we get it like they see that and they know like oh these dorks are record dorks like and yeah 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 so that's a way to their you know we we know the way to their hearts and our record our promo records are they have a like if you're if you know anything about records you know back in the day they had white label promos you know like dj only Mm -hmm. and they were it was whatever the normal label design but it was on a white label and it went out first to record stores and we print up 200 copies on white label promos with the actual label art you know because it's like an extra two or three hundred dollars but it's so fucking cool like when you see yeah, yeah, a label absolutely. design that you know like you know the like the atlantic label design for yep. zeppelin yep. is green and orange but when you pull out a copy yep. and you see it's on yep. a fucking white label you're like holy shit yep um and <laughs> exclusive yeah and so like yeah we little things like that to like let shops know like hey we understand the culture and we know yep. that the most powerful thing we can do as far as marketing our records in a retail environment is to give you a copy of the record because we're confident in the product and if you're confident yeah. in the product yeah. then it'll sell itself better than that's a fucking so cool cl- there's so much yeah better than a window clean or a fucking yeah, just yeah. all the other things you can do, like, yeah. all the all the marketing shit that, you know, you can book with Amoeba or Rough Trade. It's, like, it's cool. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think all of its effectiveness pales in comparison to just giving them a copy of the record.
1: Yeah. No, that man, that is so interesting because it's just, like, I, again, I've never – I have yet to speak with someone – in the new music business in the last 10 years, 15 years, that has a physical first <laughs> mentality, or that's just like, you know, that that takes this much thought and care and consideration into the physical operation. But it makes sense because like there is, I mean, vinyl sales continue to grow. Uh and you know, it's it's um the the actual music lovers are going to record shops. You know, I was like I said, I was in Amoeba last week. I mean, that's my local, there's, you know, I live kind of right nearby, but, um, and yeah, it was packed, and I mean, it's just like, you would look at the, you could just take a snapshot of that moment and be like, oh, we're in the year 1992 right now, I mean, you know, like, and and I was like, oh, I'm looking around, like, yeah, this place is packed, and uh, there's the CD, half the store's CDs, half the store's vinyl records, man, this is wild, and, uh, but it is funny, because it's like, you know, I... I think we forget and, you know, you mentioned like, yeah, you could rely on the algorithm to feed you something, which is what everyone is relying on right now. Like we are all uh, worshiping this almighty algorithm. (laughs) Every label, every artist, every manager, every marketing agency literally is on their knees. Bowing down and praying to the Almighty Algorithm and doing whatever they can in in you know sacrificial lambs that they need to offer to the algorithm in terms of uh, oh release frequency oh my God do we have to release a single every single month okay and then we have to point people here we got to spend money and ads to point people directly to your thing it's like what are we you know it's all about the algorithm and then you go a different way you're like well actually <laughs> let's uh, where the real music lovers. And they're actually showing up to physical record shops, which uh, I just like. I I just wouldn't even think to go that route because you know we all are so obsessed and we think digital first because theoretically, digital can reach everybody and has a much wider reach for a lot cheaper. Like it is, you know, it costs virtually sure. nothing to distribute your song to the DSPs, to Spotify, Apple Music, title, etc. Um, and it costs a lot of money to have to print up all of these physical records and send them all out and promos and all of that. But yeah, what are you spending on PR? What are you spending on a marketing agency? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what is going to be the biggest bang for the buck? And And I mean, unless you want to be one of the millions of songs that have been released that have gotten literally zero streams, uh you know there, there's got to be something to break through all this noise and that that's just so fascinating to me i i go back to uh in in college i used to work at this sub shop in in minneapolis and my my apartment was like five blocks away from the sub shop and so after i would finish work at the sub shop i'd walk home and i'd walk past two record stores and uh, this is in minneapolis wait and I would go uh, into electric- one usually fetus
0: was Fetus one of
1: them? Electric Fetus is the one. I, I Yes, that wasn't the one. It was uh, but yes, Electric Fetus is the big record shop in Minneapolis that i I'll, also used to live near. Uh it was No Name Records, was the one in, in Dinghy Town of Minneapolis, and uh and there was a CD warehouse there too. But um, so I'd walk into to No Name Records, and uh that and you know, I just like did of my daily routine. I'd I'd pop in there and I'd go through the records and whatever. And over the over the speakers, they were playing Nick Drake. And I'm, I'm 19, I'd never heard of Nick Drake before. And I'm playing Nick Drake, I'm like, man, this is, who is this? this is great. And I go up and I ask the clerk, I mean, this is straight out of a movie scene. He's like, who is this? And he got so, so excited. He brings me to the Nick Drake section. And he pulls out, you know, uh, Pink Moon and Five Leaves Left. He's like, start with these two. And I was like, oh, man. And I did it, and he became one of my favorite artists. And like, you know, because of that, it like started this journey. But like, that interaction, I'm talking about it now. 15, 16, 17 years later, I remember that. Can you remember the time when you opened your Spotify app and you got fed something from the algorithms like, oh, I discovered this song because Spotify fed it to me on a playlist that I listened to? No, but you fucking remember when you had an interaction with a clerk at a record shop where they just opened your world and you had a real physical encounter. There is definitely something more impactful to that.
0: Yeah, man, and the other thing is that I think you know, obviously, we've been doing it for a long time. And so I don't want to say, like, everybody that is going to – if you mail a record to a record store, immediately it's going to get opened. You know, because we get that every of once course. in a while. And it's like, hey, who's your distro? Oh, fuck. You don't have any distro? God damn it. Because now it's like, how do we right. get it? What are we got to do? We're going to Venmo you $12 or some shit. You know, it's like – Yeah. it's. <laughs> but, it, but if we, But if we right. know, like, oh, shit, you're distributed through – one of these indie distributors? Fuck yeah, cool. Thanks for sending the record. We'll grab a couple on the next order. Like that. That's the other piece of advice I could give to like independent artists that are going to mail out promotional copies. Is like if you have physical distro in place, driving mm-hmm. the retailer to the distro because you want them to be able to reorder. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if if, yes. you, if they yes. buy two copies from you, what's the what's the chances that right. when they go to do their weekly orders they're going to be like, oh yeah, I got to go pay Billy Joe and Bob. 17 more dollars right. you know I, I gotta email them <laughs> oh wait they don't they don't check that email right right Do so it's an like,
1: invoice yeah yeah
0: right and so um that's that's one piece of it but i mean physical also physical well, some... touch physical touches digital like that's the other thing is like yeah. yes a, a physical foundation sort of allows you to like i won't say circumvent the algorithm because it doesn't but like it does provide a little like kick in the ass to the algorithm because if you can sell five hundred to a thousand records, that's five hundred to a thousand people that probably also stream on some service, and they're gonna listen oh, totally. to your new record on a streaming service. And so like when that shit comes out yeah. that day, they're gonna be excited about it on digital platforms as well as physical. and it does provide like mm-hmm. a foundational listener base. I would say that is one hundred percent what we had walking into our partnership with Secretly. It was like we didn't have playlists. Mm-hmm we didn't have artists that had like massive social profiles but we had like label listeners which is wild yes like it's crazy wow. powerful because it's yeah. like it again it allows you to sort of like break artists that are
1: that have not from because zero. they trust the label
0: right um, yeah. but like yeah we man what that you in said the about dance
1: space. say yeah. what go ahead no, no i was no, going to say
0: like uh you know what you said about retail though, like that interaction is like spot on yeah that shit happens every day and yeah and in our you know our label offices are the second floor of the record store so it's like this beautiful like symbiotic (laughs) thing you know like downstairs they're cool you know hustling coal mine records and upstairs we're planning them for six months in advance or whatever
1: you know yeah yeah i mean we see that um similarly in the dance uh electronic space uh like i had um I had uh, Darren Delgado um, and, of of Dirty Bird Records and and hit music and, and Sam Skiar of uh, uh, Higher Ground and like these are like electronic record labels um, you know and that that similarly people that was the first time that I was like you know and they and that whole conversation we were talking about downloads because they're like electri- they're an electronic label and they. Uh, work with djs and producers and they need the downloads for the club Mm. and the remixes and all of that stuff they they were selling a shit ton of downloads and that blew my mind and like you know we this was not too long ago They're like oh yeah we most of our sales are in downloads i'm like what what year are we in and that but you know but they had also built a, a following around the record labels when they're in the electronic space and so this is you know similarly how you're doing it but i mean what you said is in and, and for the people running labels out there i i want to reiterate and and that it's so important that you can't just send the label the record uh to a record shop and think that you're gonna do gangbusters like you've done like you clearly the way that you packaged it with the white labels and the branding that you have on there like it does look like that old atlantic records that old warner records like mm-hmm. that old you know 45s and how you've done that and you've taken such care into knowing who you're selling to, which the, are the are other music nerds. These are other like record label nuts that are at you know record shops or, or I should say music nuts that are at record shops that love records. That's why they're working at a record shop because they love records and they know the history of it. And so like, that's your audience. You know who you're targeting when you're doing that. And that's really smart. Um, so for the labels who are listening right now, Who are some physical indie distributors uh, that they should be looking into to potentially work with?
0: Um, You know, I would say in the States, I'd say the best two indie distributors are Secretly Distribution and Red Eye. Um, And I would have said that before we started getting distributed by Secretly Distribution as well. Um, I would say a little more niche, but also good distributors, um, uh, Fat Beats, who we were with for a long time? Mm-hmm. Uh, traffic, those are a little bit more like hip hop leaning, I would say. But I mean, okay. any any of them can do anything. Um, but I mean, in the states, mm-hmm. I would say Red Eye and Secretly have definitely emerged as like the two powerhouse indie distributors, and they have pretty different. I think they have different models, um, but they're both. What are the good. models? Um, how do they work? I th- I think Red Eye Red Eye has a lot more labels than Secretly has. Red Eye has, I think, north of... They gobbled yeah. up a lot of label rights um, during the pandemic when everybody was jumping ship from Warner. Um, I'm not sure if you are hip to, like, the whole fucking absolute dumpster fire that happened during the pandemic as far as major label no, distribution. Oh, man, it's so fun. Uh, it's so fucked up. So there's a whole Pitchfork article. <laughs> um, there's a whole Pitchfork article that came out then if if you want to, like, really dig into it. But essentially... Um mm-hmm. there's three major labels, Sony, Warner and Uni. Um back mm-hmm. then, Warner was handling their own physical distribution out of Nashville. Um and Uni mm-hmm. and Sony were having their distribution fulfilled out of Evansville, Indiana from the same warehouse. Um Okay. Back then, if you had major label, all three major label accounts, for the most part, you place an order on Sunday, you're getting that shit on Wednesday or Thursday. All was peachy. Mm-hmm. Um And then Warner decided, well, since the other two majors are already being distributed out of this one warehouse, maybe we could just move our stuff there and they'll all be shipping from the same place, even though it's, you know, three separate entities. And it absolutely fucked everything. Like imagine a train wreck and then the train cars just keep coming because they were trying to transport, you know, almost (laughs) like something like 90,000 UPCs So 90,000 different UPCs with God knows how many hundreds and thousands of units of each of those UPCs moving them from Nashville to Evansville to be ingested by this warehouse. But at the same time, people are releasing new records. You know, it's not like, it's not like everybody's like, Hey guys, actually, can we pause for like eight weeks so we can get these records in the warehouse? Yeah. Yeah. So you had just like semi trucks full of stock lined up around this place. Nobody knows where shit is. Um, I mean, and because of that, Warner found themselves in breach of their distribution contracts with a lot of people. And so a lot of people jumped ship. Um, and so red, Eye was like, you know, red eye and secretly like running down the field, like, yo, I'm open. And, you know, just (laughs) snagging, snagging labels. Uh, but I think red eye, red eye has, there's some labels that have just physical with red eye. There's some labels that have physical and digital with red eye, um, secretly, maybe distributes like 60 labels. I think secretly it's a little more, I think each, I think each one is like a partnership more. Um, Like everybody is digital and physical. Um, And and there's some overlapping rights as far as like publishing and sync as well. And so like, they're a little bit more entrenched, Mm. I think with their label partners at the distro level than, than other places. Um, And that's what we wanted. Like we wanted somebody to like help us get better at Spotify you know, like help yeah, me yeah, figure yeah. like five, six years ago. And, um, and yeah, they've, right. they've done it for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I would say if you, uh, phys-
1: how do physical distributors uh, physical distribution deals work? Is it based on commission? Do you pay them up front? Is it based on uh, their wholesale? Like just break down the business of how this yeah,
0: works. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if we have a new release, we'll talk to secretly and we'll figure out, okay, we're pressing 5,000 of this new record. Um, we're going to take this mm-hmm. amount for, D, for direct-to-consumer. Um, how many do you guys think? You know, We'll kind of come up with what number we're going to initially ship them. Let's say it's 3,000. Okay, we're going to ship you 3,000 yeah. of this new LP. Uh, if the wholesale is 1550 um, secretly mm-hmm. pays us 80% of whatever they sell. So as they sell things, they pay us oh. 80% of whatever they get um i think that's how that's how most distro deals work in general i think between 80 and Mm -hmm. 75 ish um but yeah Yeah, most
1: hands-on distributors on the digital front keep uh keep yeah 15 to 20 percent or something like that that makes sense so it i guess it makes sense that physical is is similar i mean do they take is that of net i mean I not, we're dealing with shipping costs, but you don't have to deal with digital. I mean, are they taking off shipping costs off the top or is that going into the 20%?
0: Um, so most shipments... So if, as a retailer, there's a free shipping mark with secretly. Uh, so like if Plaidrum okay. orders, I think it's 350 If you are $350, it ships for free. But if you don't, the retailer okay. pays for it. So essentially, if somebody buys 10 copies oh, okay. of one of our records, we're going to get paid for 80% of eight times, 1550. Um, and so there are like other little warehousing fees, you know, if things are stagnant or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure. you know, the idea is that you come up with what you think is going to move in that n- first wave. And then every week we get a request from them, like, Hey, we're running low on this. Could you ship some of the, mm-hmm. you know, we need some more of these or, and we monitor it as well. Cause we don't want to get hit with warehouse fees. So we're like, Oh shit, we'll send somebody over and we'll just withdraw a bunch of the stock. Cause it doesn't look like it's moving for you guys." so um yeah it's pretty it's pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. um i think that's how i think that's how most distro deals it's how it worked with fat beats back in the day so
1: can any record label uh you know that who's do the record labels need to be proven to get a distributor physical distributor like this
0: at this point yeah um just because it is a lot to bring on a there's a lot of onboarding that comes along with you know, move, especially with secretly, we like there is a massive amount of infrastructure and momentum and trust that is already built into that company, and so um, I don't know what the threshold is, but there's definitely a, a threshold. Um, I think the threshold mm-hmm. is lower at Red Eye, okay. um, but I don't know.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, but there's so until, until you meet that threshold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until you meet that threshold, you're gonna have to. Do what you were doing in the early days, or what you said is going to be hard to do, which is hawking your records directly to the record stores uh, without a distributor. That that's the only way to do it. Is that it? You're packaging them, you're shipping them, you're doing the invoicing, you're doing this this full on distribution retail operation.
0: Yeah, or, or you get with a you know a Fat Beats or a Traffic, or you know there are other smaller operations. Okay. Um, another another option yeah. is a there's a so AEC. Which stands for Alliance Entertainment Corporation. They're like a big one-stop. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the biggest mm-hmm. physical distributor in the world, I believe. But they also offer direct distribution services, and so and it's called AMPed, mm. A A M P E D. And cool, you know that's a that's an option for people that are like, you know, maybe they're on their first or second or third record, and they need infrastructure. Because I mean, every record shop has an AEC account. No record shop exists that okay. doesn't have an AEC account. So if you get on with AEC or AMPT or whatever, Amped is what they call their distro arm. Uh, and you, you know, okay. you're, you know, you're just somebody directly trying to hustle your shit and you mail them a record and you go, Hey, it's available from AEC. That's like, that lets a shop know uh, this person gets it. Like this person gets cool. What I need. Whereas if they're just like, here's my record. I hope you enjoy it if you want some buy some, it's like, that's, that's going to stop right there. Like truly, uh, because right. Right. That, that, that does not work within the system of most retail operations. They need a distributor. They need a vendor. They need a way to reorder. They need a, they need metadata, all that sort of shit. And, um, but if you're like, Hey, get it from Mm -hmm. AEC again, like those flag words, those keywords kind of let the retailer know, Oh yeah, this person understands this person gets what I need. Great Um, so yeah, yeah and you know the other thing I would say about retail like the importance of retail is like if you get a retailer on board with your record or your artist or your label they become an ambassador for you for much longer than a PR campaign you know much longer than a radio mm, campaign or much longer sense. than the, the yep. monthly on Spotify or, or whatever because um, yep. if they love that record they're gonna hustle that record I mean I remember the early days of Crumbin yes. When like, when not a lot of people were hustling that shit, we were fucking slanging Crunbin records because people would come in and they'd be like, you know, I just want something like cool, and we're like, pff, 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 here you go. You just want something <laughs> cool? Here you go. Yeah, you want, you want something to put on your, you want something to put on your parties that your friends haven't heard of fuck yeah here you go bub yeah you're gonna need this shit <laughs> nice, and it was nice. like and, yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. and i think it. that's i think that's the other benefit of uh of coal mine and, and most of our releases is like our releases are record store friendly like they all feel a certain way you know they like yes it's not like we're doing norwegian death metal when you're like fucking throw this shit on bro you're not fucking you're gonna fucking right. love it <laughs> it's like it's yeah, like yeah, no yeah, put on yeah. this like fucking super catchy dirty disco from say she she and yeah uh or you know yeah. a durand record or a kelly finnegan record that like is contemporary and new and might be unknown to people but definitely like touches points of nostalgia and feels a certain way and so it's just i think we tend to mm-hmm. make record and we make a lot of instrumental shit you know we make a lot of like funk soul jazz adjacent shit and that's like historically
1: record store fodder you know yes yes i love it well terry man we got on such this incredible tangent uh that became the entire conversation um i had 30 other questions for you but uh we don't have time for that uh this is a fascinating conversation and i can safely say the only one that i've had like this um on the show so i appreciate um you know the insight into your entire operation um and I, I, have, I want to learn more, and we'll stay in touch and, and do this again soon. Yeah, um, sounds good. But I have, I have one final question yeah, that I ask everybody who comes on the show, and that is, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Um,
0: making records that I would like to buy. Just that's it, you know? Making records that I would like, enjoy buying. Beautiful. That's it. Beautiful. So.
1: Terry Cole, thank you so much. That was great. Hey, thanks for having cool. me. Appreciate it, man. Today's episode was edited by Mikey Evans with music by Brassroots District and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out distrikid.com <laughs>